Well, good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad that you guys are here today to celebrate our risen Savior. We do this every first day of the week, but we know it's not just on Sunday uh, that we give him uh, all the accolades that are due his name. We do it every day of our life because he's such an incredible Savior, is he not? He blesses us in so many ways, and we come together as the family of God today to, to celebrate that very thing. Thanks for being here to do that uh, today. We want to say a welcome to our guests that are here in the audience today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our assembly. We hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst today. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our family right here at Cross Point to help us tell the story uh, of hope that is Jesus Christ. All of us are blessed with different gift sets, and so we come together to form one body to tell that story of hope, to remind the world and the community around us that Jesus is enough. He's taken care of that guilt. He's washed away your sin, uh, and you can serve him in a blessed way uh, the rest of your days. And so we ask you to join us in telling that story. Thanks again for being here today to celebrate Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles, and we'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a little while uh, as we close out this uh, final uh, episode, if you will, in the series that we've called, Who is Jesus? And uh, through the book of John, we've unpacked some of the I am statements that Jesus made uh, to discover what his nature and character was, who the type of person he is and what that means for us in our life. And today we're going to talk about uh, the I am statement that he says, I am the light of the world. And what does that mean that he is the light of the world? Well, hopefully we're going to dig into a story today that will remind each and every one of us how bright a light he is in the world in which uh, we live. Uh, I'm really excited today because I know after second service, we've got three baptisms, church. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Uh, And I want to start out by reminding us all that, man, what a great opportunity you have right now. We've already got three that said, look, I want to put Jesus on as my Lord and Savior in baptism. I want to uh, be with him in his death, rise a brand new creation, and give him glory the rest of my days. And you too, if you haven't done that in your life, man, today is a great day to give that to yourself as a gift. Jesus Christ is already a gift to you, but what a great way to start this holiday season by saying, I want to be baptized into Christ as well and put him on as my Lord and Savior. And we invite you to think about doing that as we continue our service this morning and throughout the rest of this holiday season. Uh, well, Jesus says in verse 12 of chapter 8 in John, uh, chapter 8 in John, uh, he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, I want you to look at this verse for a moment. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you'll circle that, underline it, put an asterisk by it, because, church, this is a verse with power behind it. This is a, a verse that reminds us that we're not in darkness, that we don't walk alone, that Jesus Christ is with us 100% of the time, and when we find ourselves in Jesus, he has the life that you and I are looking for. He's going to bless us in so many incredible ways, uh, spiritually speaking, physically, with relationships. He's going to light the path that we should be taking in our own life as we live out our days here on earth. It is an incredible opportunity you and I have to embrace who Jesus Christ truly is. He says, listen, I am the light of the world, and in me there is no darkness. Uh, I'm going to give you the blueprint for life. Now, I want to start out with a question this morning, and I want you to be honest with me. It doesn't necessarily mean that today, that if you answer this question in in a yes mode, that doesn't mean today this is you, but how many of us in this room are scared of the dark, or have been scared of the dark? Me and three other people, right. Okay, I feel really alone right now, but 
Thanks for raising your hands, those that did. You know, there are moments when you're in the house alone and, and there's a dark room and you, at the corner of your eye, you thought you saw something, right? You're not sure if you want to go in that room anymore. You're wondering what's under the bed when you're a little kid. I mean, all of these moments happen in the darkness that you're, you've got some questions about. You're not sure what's in the dark. I, I know there are moments where Robin's away uh, on, with, with school business or maybe she's gone to see a friend or a family member and I'm in the house alone and I go to bed really really late that night because I keep the TV on and the lights on as long as I possibly can until I'm going to sleep on the couch. I mean, there's something about turning the lights off, being in the dark, that's just not very comfortable, is it? I mean, none of us really like to be in the dark. I remember uh, back when we lived in Africa, I was a, a little kid, second grader, and have two younger brothers. Uh, my parents hired a couple of guys that worked around the house for a couple of years. They kind of mowed the grass, and they cooked, and they did all the things necessary to help my mom out. And one evening, my mom and dad decided to go out, and so they asked JB uh, to stay behind and kind of babysit the three boys. And so they went off, and JB started telling us these really scary stories. He, he got the, the three little boys all worked up. We were scared to death. And suddenly, out of nowhere, JB uh, thought it would be fun. He just ran out of the house. He ran out the front door down out into the jungle. I mean, he was gone down the road. <laughs> And so the three guys are standing there. I'm the oldest and kind of the protector, but I'm scared to death. I mean, he's kind of worked us up, and we're worried. About 30 seconds into the moment he left the house, there was this blood-curdling scream from the jungle. Now, I don't know if it was a chimpanzee, a monkey. I don't know. Some wild creature, let it be known, that, that they were out there. And I'm not kidding you. Faster than Hussein Bolt, JB came back to the house, <laughs> jumped through the front door, shut the door, locked it, and he was now scared. There are moments in our life when we are scared of the dark. We're not sure what is out there in the darkness. Sometimes you have a little nightlight and that helps along the way. But we want illumination. We like it when we can see what is going on around us. And scripture from cover to cover contrasts darkness and light all the time. You look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the creation story. And it says that darkness hovered across the face of the earth and there was chaos in the void. And then suddenly God says, let there be light. And everything kind of calmed down. Creation began and God simply spoke all of that into existence. Or you see the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, he's telling his story about how God called him to speak to the Gentiles. And in, specifically in that text, he, he reminds the listeners that there is darkness and light in the world. God says to, uh, to Paul, I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. There is always this contrast of light and darkness within Scripture. And then Jesus comes out in verse 12 and he says, I am the light of the world. And in me, you're going to have life. Well, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read texts that are as important as verse 12... Uh, those are the kind of verses that you write down, you may put on your, your mirror in your bathroom or in your car, because they, they speak volumes of how you are a follower and connected to that light. 
But there are lots of times in those moments where I read that verse and I think, what is the context that Jesus is calling himself light of the world? What is going on in this story that Jesus would proclaim, listen, there is darkness, I am light, and when you're in me, you've got no worries. I'm going to illuminate your life for you. What is the context that that happens? And those of us that have grown up in church know the story of the woman caught in adultery. And the front end of chapter 8 is the context for Jesus making this statement. And as we unpack this story, we're going to see ourselves in the story, and we're going to see uh, the difference between the law, the love of God, and the light of Christ. And my hope is when we leave here this morning that you will feel confident that you can have an incredible life in Christ Jesus, that in fact, he will illuminate the darkness that may be in your life as well. What we discover along the way in our story is that the law reveals our guilt. Paul says this over and over in in his letters to different churches, the church in Rome, the Galatian letter, and over and over he reminds us that the law, the Jewish law, is simply there to remind us of our guilt, that it simply reveals that you and I need help, that we need a savior. We can't do this thing on our own. And so as we get into our story this morning in John chapter 8, let's begin reading in verse 2. Early the next morning, Jesus was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd." What we've got here is uh, some legalistic men who have discovered a couple in the act of adultery, and they've basically kicked the door in, and we notice the gender bias in the story because the man isn't present, but they've got a hold of that woman, and they're bringing her, understand where Jesus is, in Jerusalem, at the temple. There's a crowd around him as a teacher normally would teach in the center. People are gathered as he teaches them, and these legalistic men bring this woman to the feet of Jesus in this crowd in a very public setting. They drag her out. Clearly, she is guilty. She's been caught red-handed. Likely, she has no clothing on. Maybe as she left the house, she was able to grab a bed sheet and wrap that around herself, but she finds herself in the dirt at the foot of a rabbi humiliated, feeling absolute shame. Let's put this in context for us this morning. In your own mind, in your own heart, you know that you have a struggle. Your struggle may be different than my struggle. The sin that I deal with is different maybe from your sin, but you know what your sin is. Maybe you haven't confessed that to anyone before, but in your heart of hearts, you know what that is. Imagine on a morning just like this with a crowd here, A group comes up to you, pulls you out of your seat, brings you up here to stage, plops you on the floor, and announces to the group what that sin is. You've just put yourself in her shoes. Guilty, yes. Humiliated, absolutely. And they go on to tell Jesus in verse 5, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? 
They're trying to back him in a corner. They want him to reveal where his cards lie. Now, we're not going to go there, but way back in Leviticus chapter 20, one of the, the books in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, there is a section of scripture there in Leviticus 20, uh, several verses that talk about uh, sexual conduct. And when you find yourself in some of these moments, uh, the penalty is death. Stoning is a gruesome, horrific way to die. See, they wanted to, to trap Jesus. If, if he says to stone her, then he loses his credibility as a compassionate rabbi, someone that is full of grace and mercy. He spent a lot of his teaching career condemning those legalists in the way they view the word of God. He simply joins the ranks of all those who have gone before him. If he says, let her go, then the question remains, so it's okay to break some of the rules? Moses' law doesn't apply really to us. We can kind of pick and choose what we do. But I don't want us to miss the point in this part of our story. And that is the reminder that the law reveals our guilt. It is not possible for you and I to keep the law. There are too many things that have to be done in order for us to be right with God. And we live in a world where people have a difficult time admitting their guilt and bearing the consequences of decisions that they've made along the way. You and I can look at the news on any given night and we see that bubble to the top, don't we, time and time again? We get pushback when we say people aren't good. Because you're sitting there this morning thinking, hey, I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone today. (laughs) And we rationalize, don't we, how good a person that we are. But you and I need to understand in God's eyes, you and I are guilty. You and I are sinners. The law says we are guilty. Uh, Let's be honest for a moment this morning, and maybe it's not a reflection on maybe something you did today, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but let's be honest this morning. How many many of us have ever told a white lie, even a small little white lie? How many of us have taken something that did not belong to us, although it might have been something super small? How many of us have looked at someone else and thought, boy, that is hot. (laughs) How many of us have ever said something derogatory negative about someone around us, tearing them down? You see, you look at the hands around this room, and each and every one of us are guilty. We are all sinful people in the eyes of God. And see, until we see ourselves as sinners, we will not see the need for a Savior. And you and I need a Savior. We need somebody to come into our life and sweep us off our feet. We need somebody to set us straight, to shed some light into our life, to get us back on track, so to speak. But we're reminded in our story that the law reveals our guilt Church, here is the great news, is that the story doesn't stop there. We've got some more to unpack. Because what we discover along the way in our story is the love of God reveals God's grace. 
And God has lots of grace for you and me. I'm thankful for that. Amen? Amen. He looks at our guilt, but he looks at us when we're found in Christ through his son, Jesus Christ, and we're seen as righteous. Look at verse 6. It says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus writes on the ground. What in the world does Jesus write on the ground? Here is the theological understanding of that particular text. Nobody knows. (laughs) Nobody knows. I mean, did he write the names of those who had brought the woman? And maybe the ways that they had broken the law along the way. We have some insight into what may have been written down. We don't know specifically, but the Greek word that is used there for the word writing is katagraphen. And it means to write down a record against. That's the exact word that's used here in this text. So, for instance, when you get pulled over for speeding and you get a ticket, when you roll that stop sign and you get a ticket, when you look at that ticket, something is written on there that dictates what you're guilty of. And the word... That same word is used right here in our text, John chapter 8. So we can make some assumptions, although we don't know exactly what Jesus wrote. And then verse 7 says, But they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now what we need to understand also in the original language is the intent of what Jesus said. He's not only telling those who are standing around ready to kill this woman. He's not only saying, if you've never sinned, but the intent of the original language says, if you've never even thought about sinning. He's going to the heart of the issue. He wants to pry into those men's hearts to help them see that none of us are innocent. He says, any of you that have never sinned and any of you who have never even thought about sinning, play ball. It's okay for you to pick a rock up and throw the first one. See, the problem is with these guys are the same problems that you and I deal with each and every day. And that is, it is so easy to see your sin and not mine. Because the thing that you're struggling with in life may not be a struggle in mine, and so it's pretty easy for me to start pointing some things out while I rationalize what's going on in my life. And these guys have got that problem. But our story continues in verse 8. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Church, this is probably one of the most beautiful love stories that is in the gospel account. Someone who is absolutely guilty. There's no way around it. And Jesus, the Son of God, looks at that person and says, I grant mercy, compassion, and grace to you. In Christ, you are special. 
And that same idea goes for us here today. Maybe somewhere in your life, you really tore someone down, you ruined a relationship, and their life has not been the same since. But Jesus says, even with that guilt in your life, in Christ, you are forgiven. Maybe you've got an addiction that you've been struggling with off and on for years. And Jesus says, in Christ, you are forgiven. And the list goes on and on. What we need to know, church, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You see, Jesus changes everything. He did for this woman, and he can for you and I as well. Having Jesus near you and in your life, shedding light on what should be, will change everything for you. The problem is is that we still have someone else trying to play a game. Satan, his title throughout Scripture is the accuser. If you'll look in all different storylines and scenarios. And Satan will try to remind you of what your sin is. He will try to distract you from Jesus' side and pull you back into the darkness. He will try to convince you that you are worthless. But you and I know better. Because we read the story of Jesus Christ and we know that we are his sons and daughters and in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. Whatever sin that you've got going in your life, know that God loves you despite that guilt and that he sent his son to take care of that guilt so that you could live in the lie. That voice that you hear that's saying that you are worthless and guilty and not worth anything. Understand that is the accuser's voice and not our Savior's voice. Because your Savior loves you beyond belief. He wants to extend grace and mercy and compassion to you in your life more than you've ever known before. You see, our Savior says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And Jesus asks you, where are your accusers? He says, I'll send them away because I'm here to save you. I want to offer grace and not accuse you. There is no condemnation for those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. And whenever Satan reminds you of your past, you simply remind him of his future because he doesn't have a pleasant one on the horizon. Was our woman in our story, was she guilty? Yes. Did she deserve punishment? Yes. But because of Jesus and his great love, his grace was revealed. And it can be for us as well. See, Jesus takes a moment that is full of shame and guilt and embarrassment, and he turns it into a moment of hope and restoration and beauty, the same as he can do in your life and my life. And it's all because of his love and his grace for you, his desire to be your Lord and Savior, your King of Kings, his desire to be the light in your life. Now notice at the end of our story, Jesus doesn't say, hey, make, make sure to do the very best you can. Work things out as best you can. 
Look, I'm Jesus, and I know your past history. I know you're overcompensating, and so now you're doing some other things wrong in your life to compensate for where you feel guilty on the other end. Now, he knows our darkness as well as he knew this woman's darkness. And in verse 11, he says, go and sin no more. There's a sense of urgency from Jesus in that statement. It's not that, that we should keep sinning so that grace may abound, as Paul says. But our call is to live holy lives that represent Jesus Christ in the best of ways. And through this story, what we see is our, our ability to live free. No need to live in darkness anymore. No need to choose your own storyline anymore. Jesus Christ wants to be a part of your story and shed light on the way that you should go. And in a crowd this size, I know that we've got folks in this audience who are struggling with guilt in their life, who's struggling, struggling with reoccurring sin in your life. But know that Jesus is not the accuser, that he is the Savior. And his desire is to impart grace and mercy to you in this moment. And what we discover in our story is that the light that is Jesus reveals the hope that we have in him. Just like the lady in our story who gained hope in a moment, we too can gain that same hope. We look at verse 11 and we think, man, is that a little too preachy? And I would say, I don't think so because we look at the very next verse and Jesus shows the hope that he wants to extend to each and every one of us. I am the light of the world. Don't live in darkness anymore. You'll never walk in darkness when you walk in me. When you allow me in your life, when you take me on as your Lord and Savior, when you say goodbye to the ways of this world and what the accuser is telling you in your ear, when you lean into me, things will be different. When Jesus said, I don't condemn you in our story, he not only became the light of the world, but he became the light of her world. And this morning, when you in your own life make a decision to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, he too becomes the light in your world. And church, that changes everything. Darkness never defeats light, ever. Jesus cannot be conquered. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the creator of all the universe, and the God who loves you beyond measure. He wants to pour into your life and shed light into the blessing that you can be to those around you and to illuminate all things possible for you so you have the best life possible. He said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Your best scenario in your mind of what your life could be Jesus wants to do millions of times better than that. If you can only imagine, when you make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ, when you make him your personal savior, then the voice of the accuser goes away because it's the voice of the savior that you begin to hear. The voice of the accuser is silenced and you begin to lean into and listen to the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness again jesus says i'm the light of the world and i want to give you more in life than you can possibly imagine i don't know about you church but i i want to serve a savior like that 
I, I, I want to be a part of what world he is creating. I, I don't want to listen to my accusers anymore. I don't want to wear the guilt anymore. I, I don't want to be a part of the accuser's world anymore. I want the blueprint that Jesus Christ is going to shed light on for me. How about you? I want to lean into the, the one person who said, I love you more than anything in the world, so much so that I gave my life for you. I know you by name, and I know all the warts that come with you, but it doesn't matter anyway because I love you, and I want to walk with you. And so this morning, who is Jesus? He's the incredible son of God. That's who he is. And he's ready to rock your world. I promise you. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time, and Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is that there are some of us in this room who who are weighted down with the guilt of of maybe a poor decision that you've made in the past. It's time to let that go, church. It's time to lean into who Jesus has called us to be, and that's sons and daughters of the Most High King. We're, We're called to be righteous in His sight, and in Jesus Christ, we are and look righteous. To God, we are his precious sons and daughters. And so this morning is a call as we sing this song. If you've got some of that guilt in your life, if you've got some speed bump going on in your life that's, that's kind of holding you back from that deep relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to go see one of our shepherds. Let them pray for you and over you. And maybe this is the morning that you make a decision. You know what? Things are changing for me. I want to be a part of everything Jesus has to offer. Today is my day. I'm going to be baptized today. I want to be a brand new creation. I want to start things new and fresh. And so today is my day. I hope that is for you. My hope is the Holy Spirit will move you to do some incredible things today and going forward. Let's stand and sing.